This is Talk of the Town on Magic 590 plus 100.5. We're also heard in the Glens Falls, Lake George region on 1410 AM and 96.9 FM. I'm Bob Cudmore. Our guest today is Sarah Foss, news columnist for the Daily Gazette newspaper. How you doing, Sarah? I'm good, thank you. Well, good to have you on. We're going to talk about a very serious uh, topic at the beginning, uh, which you've written about and the Gazette did quite a bit of coverage of not too uh, long ago. It's an ongoing story. Suicide prevention. Uh, we're told today or uh, that we have to talk about suicide. Uh, what, what, do you, um, what do you make of this? I guess I think this is a topic, you know, it's very troubling, you know, when you tell people, you know, I wrote about my brother-in-law's death, that there's been a suicide of someone close to you. Um, I think the visceral reaction for a lot of people is to, uh, you know, to almost, you know, recoil in, in horror because it is horrifying. I mean, it's, an, you know, I think it's a normal reaction to something that to a lot of people seems sort of inexplicable, hard to comprehend, you know, why would someone do that? These types of questions that sort of roll through your mind. And I think if you look at the numbers, um, 47,000 Americans, uh, I think in 2017, um, died by suicide. You know, it suggests that it's actually a fairly, um, you know, common event. So even if it horrifies us, it's something that occurs with some regularity, you know, every single day in America. And so we talk a lot about, I think, other troubling things like, you know, cancer. You know, there used to be a time when people didn't talk about that. Mm -hmm. There's been an effort to talk more about, you know, sexual assault and rape and, you know, the impact on victims and that sort of thing. It's kind of coming forward to tell these stories and to try to you know, put across the idea that this is something that happens and it's something we should try to wrap our minds around and see what we can do to address it, prevent it if possible. And I think, you know, suicide is something that, because it's such a shock to people, hasn't, you know, fully, you know, kind of come out of the closet Mm -hmm. in quite the same way i think you know there can be feelings of shame that people have i you know it's nothing i personally have feeling you know ashamed of you know my brother-in-law but i think it's still a fairly um common emotion for people to sort of experience and struggle with along with you know feelings of survivor guilt could you have done something and you know there's no reason to struggle with those feelings alone um There's plenty of people who understand what it's like, and I think, you know, kind of a broader discussion of, you know, these issues. What are the warning signs? How could you recognize that someone might be feeling suicidal? Um, I think that could go a long way towards sort of perhaps trying to get these um, suicide numbers each year, people who take their own lives, which have been rising, you know, to start ticking back back mm-hmm. down again. Mm. I had said suicide prevention, but it, in your case, you're talking about a, a man who had committed suicide, who your brother-in-law, I believe. And um, but so there's, that's, there's also a value to that. I mean, to the family to talk about it instead of just, you know, as they used to say, putting on a brave face and continuing. Right. Yeah. I think we've, you know, talked about a lot about it to some extent, you know, I think we do talk about it. And I think, um, 
you know, he had children. You sort of have to figure out a way to explain it to them to kind of, you know, and at each developmental stage, you know, you kind of have to elaborate a little bit on what happened. So, you know, I think it's something where we have discussed it. Um, you know, and I don't know, I mean, does it make you feel better? I don't know, but I think not discussing it might make you feel worse in the long run. And then, you know, it's sort of like, you know, these, you know, his, you know, we, we love Tom. So, I mean, how to kind of keep his memory alive as you move forward, especially for his, his children, you know, the idea that this is someone who, however, you know, his, you know, his death kind of came across, we would talk about like, he's, you know, still that, you know, he's that person that we love, Mm -hmm. you know, I think it would be good for his kids to, you know, to hear about his, you know, their father. So talking with Sarah Foss, news columnist for the Daily Gazette. You also did a uh, a column recently about nursing homes for uh, the elderly primarily. Uh, And there's one, uh, well, from time to time, there are different stories about nursing homes doing wrong or not doing well. And there's been a story out of Saratoga County recently that got your attention. Can you talk about that? Right. What used to be the um, county nursing home, really just four years ago, um, Maplewood Manor, run by the county, so publicly funded, uh, you know, it was privatized four years ago, um, sold to a um, company out of Long Island. And since then, it's been placed on a federal watch list of the most kind of troubled facilities in the nation with a list of kind of, you know, quality of care concerns and complaints from patients, um, that's what sort of landed it on these lists, you know, from the story our reporter John Cropley wrote, you know, it's kind of like at, at, at any time, you know, just eight, 88 of the 15,000 15, nursing homes in the U.S. are on this list. So it's it's not a lot of them. Um, so you have to sort of distinguish yourself to get, <laughs> in not a good way, to get placed on this on this list. So I think, you know, there's some questions of, you know, was privatization with this particular company, at least, was this a good idea? Mm-hmm. You know, it seems that the quality of care has really deteriorated there. And, you know, the people who and you know who go to a county nursing home, you know, by and large, those are people without as much mm-hmm. means as, you know, other other seniors who, who are not able to live on their own and stay in their, on, you know, in their home. So um, there's been a trend. You know, a lot of counties have gotten rid of their nursing homes, they've decided this is not, you know, a cost they want to um, burden themselves in. You know, Schenectady County is one of the counties that actually invested in a new nursing home. Uh, you know, and so I think there's a larger question of how do we care for vulnerable se- seniors. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, uh, you know, there could be private companies that are doing a fantastic job at this. I feel like we are we often hear the stories of, you know, cost cutting, cutting wages, these types of things that happened at the Saratoga facility, um, Saratoga County facility. You know, I, I don't think that's, you know, unusual. So, mm-hmm. I mean, and I think what I found sort of personally more galling about the Saratoga situation, the Saratoga County situation with that facility is I feel like this is a, you know, a fairly well-off county where mm-hmm. if we wanted to make this investment for vulnerable seniors, you know, you know, we probably could, you know, I might have more sympathy for, you know, a fiscally strapped, um, high poverty county sort of feeling like it had to make this decision. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, in a county with more resources, you know, I think, 
you know, why why do we feel like we have to make that decision that we can't make this investment? Well, two other examples that I'm uh, sort of familiar with are from the covering them when I did uh, media up in Montgomery County. They uh, Montgomery County ended up privatizing its nursing home. But as you say, this was a county at the time anyway that was really in financial straits. And I believe it's, you know, been okay with the new uh, owners of it's called the River Ridge uh, facility yeah. in uh, yeah. Amsterdam. And but on the other side of the coin, on this program, I've interviewed uh, the Albany County executive frequently, Dan McCoy, and he's adamant that uh, the nursing home is something he wants to keep, and they want to provide the care at the at the nursing at the uh, Albany County nursing home. Yeah, I mean it's a choice different counties make. I did a story years ago about you know why was Schenectady County deciding to keep its facility, and at the time I think Albany County was actually sort of really like we should get rid of it. Um, and I think, you know, they cited changing demographics, more people staying at home. Do we really need nursing homes? And it's like, maybe we don't need as many nursing home beds. You know, maybe there's fewer people who need this care. But, you know, I think there's always going to be some. Um, you know, people don't go to nursing homes because they really want to go. It's because um, they don't have a lot of options mm-hmm. left to them. So I think there's always going to be some people like that in our communities. We're talking with Sarah Foss, news columnist for the uh, Daily Gazette. Uh, Another, let me go into a different uh, topic area. Uh, Your newspaper's done a lot of uh, coverage in the media in general about the Johnstown schools. Uh, The Johnstown School District uh, budget had a large tax increase for property owners. It was defeated, I believe, just very recently. It was uh, turned down again. Uh, The effect has been... Ben, what? What have they had to do in Johnstown to uh, try to uh, get over the fact that they haven't, uh, they don't have the the revenue they used to have? Right. They've had to cut a bunch of teachers. I think that was a story from last week. You know, how can we save $825,000? Not all of it is quite settled. I know there's a big fundraising. You know, they had always maintained if we don't get this tax increase, we will cut all our sports. I think now there's a push to try to save them that involves if we can raise a certain amount of money from the community, we can do this. You know, they're looking at other options like a distance learning program, which would allow students to take classes at other schools if they're not offered in the district, Um, you know, extracurriculars. You know, it's not clear to me how many or whether all of them will be cut, but, I mean, I think the idea is a lot of them would be um so things are sort of in motion um over there certainly as it was presented it was you know all this stuff is going to be cut and we won't have extracurriculars and we're going to lose a lot of teachers and electives and i think you know we are going to see that you know we're going to see those consequences of those of that vote vaccines are in the news cases of measles are increasing in new york state especially in brooklyn and rockland county downtown one issue has been the government granting religious exemptions to people opposing vaccination do you think it's time to end the exemption yeah i do i think um you know the the fact that we're seeing this increase in measles, which is a preventable disease that we've had tremendous success in preventing through vaccines, you know, that shouldn't be occurring, this increase. Uh, 
you know, and part of the reason it's occurring is because when you make it easier for people to not get vaccinated, you know, there's going to be people who take advantage of that. If you, I think if you tighten it up, we'll see fewer people opting opting out. I mean, I do think there's an education piece that goes along with this where perhaps we have to have a big push to kind of, you know, have vaccines been a victim of their own success? Um, I don't know, but, you know, to sort of like tout the benefits of vaccines and what they can do. Um, I think, you know, the anti-vaccination movement has had you know, they've been fairly loud, and certainly the um, debunked study that vac- vaccines might cause autism, you know, that did that did some damage. There are people who still believe that, even though it's sort of been, you know, basically disproven. Um, and, you know, it will take, you know, there may be people who always believe that, no matter what doctors and pediatricians, mm-hmm. you know, are, are telling them. I mean, I don't think you're ever going to have a 100% vaccination rate. You know, there's going to be people who can't do it because they have compromised immune systems and they have a medical reason not to. But um, you do want sort of this basic, you know, a pretty high percentage of your population vaccinated because that, you know, protects the larger group and it protects the people who aren't vaccinated. And in these places where we're seeing these outbreaks, it's where that vaccination rate has really uh, follow, you know, fallen below that ideal mm-hmm. benchmark. And so, you know, I don't like to be heavy-handed with things, but I think, I don't think this religious exemption, I mean, what is the religious roots of this people opting out? I mean, I think it's just a tool for people to be like, it's my religious belief, and like, you know, who can say it's not? I guess I don't find it a very... Mm-hmm. Uh, credible reason. <laughs> okay. <laughs> My next, uh, the next topic I'll bring up, the headline, More Rangers, and this kind of appeals maybe to our North Country audience. In a previous program, you made the case for more rangers in the Adirondacks, and there was a hiking mishap not too long ago with people who were hiking, and they'd hiked to the top of Whiteface Mountain calling for a cab. Um does that help make the case for more rangers? Well, it's a funny story. I mean, that's why it's a good one to highlight. Um, but I think, you know, what really makes the case is just when you look at raw numbers. And I'll go back to that, in, you know, the calling for a cab from Whiteface in a second. But when you look at how many more people are going to the Adirondacks to hike and how many, how much more land they actually have up there, you know, to me it seems like a pretty simple case. Like this is not a staff that has seen – you know, a substantial increase that kind of corresponds to the idea that more people are hiking. And I think my thing with more hikers going up there is I think there's just a high, you know, you're seeing more people who have kind of heard that this is a place to go and do this cool stuff. I think you're just seeing a lot more inexperienced people head out there. And with that kind of climb and sort of your you know, your hiker who doesn't realize that Whiteface is actually a pretty rigorous hike. It's not going to take you 45 minutes, as those people who called for the cab seem to believe because they claim someone had told them that. Um, <laughs> it's always a good question. Who told them that? But, uh, you know, it's like, you know, you can't. Could you hail a cab from Whiteface in a different season when the road wasn't closed? I mean, even that's sort of an interesting question. But regardless, it's like, you know, I think these are hikers who had really no idea what they were getting into. And I think we're seeing more of those people as this boom in, you know, Adirondack tourism has kind of, you know, taken off. And so 
that creates just more work for rangers because you know when there's less experienced people, more of them, you know, roaming around up there in the woods that, you know, I think the potential for people getting in um, into some trouble, it goes up a bit. So, you know, it's not like these are, you know, and we all know people, I have friends who, you know, they heard Giant was an easy hike, you know, the high peak Giant, mm-hmm. and maybe it's easy compared to other some of the other high peaks, but, you know, there's nothing easy, you know, there's nothing easy about hiking a high peak, and they were, you know, my friends were like, oh, we went up in tennis shoes, and it was really hard, and I mean, <laughs> they weren't found by rangers, but I mean, there's a lot of people like that going up there, and most of them, they do okay, but I mean, there are those exceptions, and those are the ones you, you see popping up in incident reports. Let me ask you a regular question. We've been talking about the possibility of legalizing recreational marijuana, um, but there was a, some news coverage this past a month about locking up many lower-level pot offenders, and in Schenectady County, it turned out that many more African-Americans are locked up than um, white people. Uh, what is your take on that? Right. I mean, one of the reasons that's troubling is that I think the research generally shows that, you know, white and black people, uh, whites and minorities, they, they smoke, buy marijuana at roughly the same rates. And so to see that, you know, 74% of the arrests are, you know, people of color in the city, I mean, you know, it's they're not using marijuana at rates so much higher than white people that it really kind of justifies those types of numbers. I mean, personally, I think it's a reflection of where Schenectady police are going. You know, they're doing a lot of policing in um, minority neighborhoods for whatever reason, if that's where their calls are coming from, if that's what they perceive as being crime hotspots. You know, it's a reflection of where they're going on calls, I think, and what they're doing. Um, You know, they're not going to Union College and wandering around and picking up, you know, college students for the same offense. I mean, they're in other neighborhoods, Hamilton Hill, for instance. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, could you spend a Saturday night at Union sort of hanging around and looking for people to bust for open containers and marijuana usage? I mean, probably, but that's not what what the police are, are doing. And so... I think it's caused probably for some self-reflection about who we please and target. And, um, you know, I have some sympathy for the idea that you go where calls come come from. Yeah. But, I mean, to me, it's sort of like, well, this is one of the arguments for legalization, right? Is that, you know, there's a population that's disproportionately impacted by this, and it it isn't fair. You know, it's not fair that this is something most white people just get away with and go on to live productive lives. And then this other population, you know, they may end up in jail with a criminal record and it can hamper them down the road in searching for a job, you know, sort of what for many people would be a, you know, comparable, perhaps, you know, youthful indiscretion. And and let me end with maybe a little bit of uh, good news. You previously wrote about a grassroots venture capital organization called the Wolf Pack, and they've got, they've got a client. Yes, they do have, well, they have a number of clients. So I highlighted, uh, you know, a couple of the, um, young men that they, uh, they're they helping. So, you know, as we've discussed before, their focus is sort of people from, you know, the local community, um, minority people, you know, in particular, that they can assist with getting small businesses 
off the ground and stable. And part of the reason they want to serve this constituency is that, you know, because they feel that they generally would have a harder time accessing sort of the tradition, you know, the more traditional, I think, banking and loan system. And, um, you know, from talking to those young men, I mean, trying to remember all that you know it's like how do you get business credit and you know one guy was like i applied for it and they were just like no and so it's like what do you do then and you know so these guys that wolf pack um and certainly there's other people who can give financial advice but you know this is their kind of focus of seeing what they can do for you know people by and large who live in schenectady mm-hmm. or have ties to it and who are trying to establish you know businesses that they run and operate and they and at this point you know they're smaller they're smaller shops and um a lot of them are doing sort of artisanal things i mean the guy i focused on was sort of he had his own line of kind of motivational clothing um that he had sort of uh developed and sold through the through the web and so all right. Yeah. You've been listening to Talk of the Town on Magic 590 plus 100.5, also heard in the Glens Falls, Lake George region on 1410 AM and 96.9 FM. Our guest today, Sarah Foss, news columnist for the Daily Gazette newspaper. The program's available as a podcast on albanymagic.com and bobcudmore.com. Next week, we'll hear about historic attractions in the city of Albany, I'm Bob Cudmore.